Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, I always butcher this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship heading towards Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out for his God, and they hurled the cargo into, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, go, call on your God. Perhaps the, perhaps the God will give us a thought that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, <coughs> Tell us, on what account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea had grew, grown more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us his innocent blood for you. O Lord, <coughs> O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, <clears throat> his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me, to take away my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountain, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope instead of steadfast love but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the, to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. <clears throat> Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from dis disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city to ma and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next mo day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, Do you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, to which there are more than 20,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and so much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. God, it is a pleasure and a joy to gather with this church family. God, I pray that your word would be spoken faithfully here, but God, that your word would also be heard faithfully here this morning. God, that upon hearing uh, the words you have for us out of Jonah 3, God, that our lives would be changed, that we would let scripture sink into our persons and change who we are and, and change what we do in our daily lives. So God, this morning, I pray that we would walk out of here understanding more and more what it is to be obedient to a God who is merciful and just to us. So Lord, open our ears. God, anything that I say, of you, of you only, let that which is of myself or us as a congregation fall away, that you may be very apparent here this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
<coughs> so, it's pretty clear that when we run from God, we only get about as far as he's going to let us get. <coughs> Simply, we can't outrun the creator in creation. When Jonah prays his elegant prayer of deliverance in chapter 2, God commands the fish. The fish spits him out on dry land. And now we pick it up with the second time that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. As I was preparing for this message uh, for this morning and reading through the whole book, but really focusing on chapter 3, the word that kept coming to my, my head was obedience. What does it look like to be obedient to God? Charles Spurgeon says, Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He who obeys God trusts God, and he who trusts God obeys God. So what does it look like to be obedient to God in faith? In this chapter, we, see, we will see Jonah follow God's call. He does what he's told, and when he does that, an entire city repents. A wicked city repents. Just as Jonah is called to be obedient, we are called towards obedience as well this morning. So we're going to start with the second calling, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> Coming from chapter 1, it's pretty clear that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He had no desire to, to go to Nineveh and preach God's word because he knew what would happen, and he knows his God. He didn't want to give Nineveh that chance of repentance because he didn't trust that God knew what he was doing, offering that repentance to such a wicked city. When God first called Jonah, he tried to run away. Now he's calling him a second time, and this time he'll go, probably because he doesn't want to go through the fish ordeal again. But the reality is, his, his attitude toward the city, his attitude towards Nineveh, probably didn't change. He's probably going because he feels like, I don't want to get swallowed by a fish again, that wasn't pleasant. But he still didn't think that Nineveh deserved a second chance. So we have a Jonah who doesn't want to go to this city and preach against it to the point that he ran away. Um, but still, we have God who wants to use Jonah. And why would God want to restore him and call him a second time? It would be well within God's reach, easy for him to do, and, and even justifiable to just cut Jonah loose and say, you've been a disobedient nuisance. I'm going to find someone else. I'll raise up this rock if I have to because I can do what I have to do to make sure my plan happens. But he doesn't. God being God does just the opposite. And we see this a lot in the Bible. Second chances. A uh, couple examples. When God called Abraham, he was an idol worshiper in Mesopotamia, just like the rest of his family. Complete heathen. Nonetheless, God calls him, and he sends him, and he promises him a land, a land that, that God will give to him. And upon that call, you would think Abraham would be like, wow, I'm getting this whole land, this whole inheritance. I'm going. He would go straight there, but he doesn't. He stops, and he settles for a while in Haran. Um, and God has to come to him a second time to push him out of that land, out of his comfort zone, into what God really has for him, to that full life, that promise that God makes. The Apostle Peter we all know the account of Peter's denial, right? That he's going to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Um, leading up to that, though, he says to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says, well, 
you want to know what's actually going to happen? You're going to deny me three times. And he does. But what did the Lord do with Peter? He didn't cut him off. He didn't push him out. He didn't wipe his hands as just another disobedient nuisance. No, when Jesus returns, Jesus recommissions him. He asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord. And Jesus' response was, then feed my sheep. And Peter is recommissioned. God is a God of restoration. Peter, Peter, Abraham, us, God restores us when we're disobedient. We have run from God's call in our life, just like Jonah. We are Jonah. We've stopped short of where God is calling us, like Abraham, not fully trusting in the promise that God has made to us. We've also denied our Lord, like Peter, when we should have defended his name. But thanks be to God that he is a God of forgiveness and offers us a second, third, hundredth, hundred thousandth chance to come back to him. Because even though we don't deserve it and we have done nothing to earn it, he loves us. God can and will use fallen people to do his work, and that includes us. So as we as Christians strive towards obedience, he offers us grace and forgiveness. So as we read through Jonah, it may be easier for us to sit back and wonder why he was so resistant to God's call in his life. But examine yourself. I can't stand up here this morning and say that 100% of the time when I have felt God place a call in my life, I have been obedient to respond to that call. I might delay because I don't really trust in that. And I'm not really sure what will happen if I take that step, even though that's what I really feel God calling me to do. I might just completely ignore it. Sometimes I'm obedient, but not all the time. So through this second calling and God's multiple calls in our own life, it becomes clear that God offers second chances to those who love him. But he also offers second chances to those who are outwardly resistant to him. So we're going to look at Nineveh, the city, the inhabitants, and its response. So this will be focusing more on verses 3 to 5. Nineveh was a big place. In chapter 3 and in 4, we hear three times that it was a great city. Big city. Um, my wife Sarah pointed out, because she loves the historical content of things, that it was the end of the trading line on the Mediterranean Sea. So a lot of business happened there. It was a bustling place. It was a hub of trade. So it's big. In fact, uh, in verse 3, the words exceedingly great city literally mean a great city to God. So this place was not only big, it was significant to God. He had a plan in mind for this city. Nineveh, it says, was a three days journey. And there's a few different ways of reading that. You can read that as um, to appropriately visit the city. You would need about three days to get there, a day to do your business, and a day to depart. Um, it could have meant travel across the metropolitan area. There's about a three days walk. Um, whatever the interpretation, it was a big place. It had high walls, and it had a lot of people and a lot of animals, which are very central to this story. Nineveh was wealthy. 
Um, and it was wicked. The people there um, were underhanded. They did nasty things to get ahead. They were deceitful for personal gain. So this place had a lot going on. And a good Jonah didn't want to see them have any opportunity to repent of what they were doing. When Jonah arrived at this great city, he didn't waste any time bringing his message that God sent him. And his message was a short one. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And overthrown there uh, is the same word that's used um, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Decimated. Not really a message that I would look forward to delivering to any city. Um, so I kind of put myself in, in Jonah's shoes. And coming into this, having already run once, being probably hesitant coming in a second time, I would try and delay. I would, I would push into the city because I'd be worried about what people are going to think of me or how people are going to respond. Am I going to get tossed in jail or killed? Um, I, would, I would try and find kind of those in people that I can kind of feel out the situation and start kind of spreading the word here and there that I have this message. <clears throat> but Jonah, he comes in full bore. And he delivers his message. And I don't know how he did it or specifically where he did it, but the people heard the message that in 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, we read that the people of Nineveh believed God. So the whole fish god, that they worship the fish god, Jonah hits a spit out of the fish, let's react because of him, is not true. And Mel tells where that next point is. They believed God because these were God's words that Jonah was speaking. This was not a complex or scholarly message, but it was clear and it had consequences. And that is why we see such a reaction to them. Not because they were fancy or had great meter, but because they came from God. It was faithfully preached and a faithful hearing of their word that caused this reaction. Charles Spurgeon, in his autobiography, uh, writes of a time that he was a boy. He went to a primitive church where his pastor was relatively un uneducated. He could barely read or write. But he touched young Spurgeon through, this, through his simple words because they were words of God. That morning, the man preached on the, on the text, Look unto me, and be ye saved. That was his text. It says, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. <clears throat> it says, Look. Now, and I'm going to try and do this in my best accent, so you're going to have to forgive me. Now, looking don't have a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just looking. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, many of ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Through this rough message that was disjointed and not, you know, proof-texted and even well-written. Spurgeon recognized God's words, and he did look to Christ, and it was because of that message that he was saved. It was God's 
word that did the work. At this point, the people of Nineveh were not concerned for what Jonah did or said, but they recognized God's message and knew enough to fear the Lord and react to that message. Maybe it was the waiting time of 40 days in the message that, that pushed the people along. They surely would have picked up that that is a divine appointment, 40-day waiting period. Whatever Jonah did or said, the Spirit of God moved and the people responded. Nineveh was thrown to its knees and humbled almost immediately. From the greatest of these to the least, they put on sackcloth and ashes. This bustling metropolis stopped in their tracks. They reacted in faith, and faith was the gift from God. It had nothing to do with what any human achieved. They also reacted through action, not just with words, not just an I'm sorry or, oh, I'm going to try and stop doing that. <coughs> but up to the king, they all understood that they were living wrong and had to stop their way of life and sit before the Lord. So we're going to look at their repentance, focusing on verses 6 to 9. This king of Nineveh put out a decree that all inhabitants, including the animals, shouldn't eat or drink. He himself put on sackcloth and ashes. This powerful king was struck by the severity of God's message. He was a man who could get things done. He had power in the city. He probably was more powerful than Rahm Emanuel. But he didn't use his power to go against this message. In fact, he didn't wield that power at all. He repented. He humbled himself. He does use his power to do one thing, though, and that's to issue a proclamation to the entire city. They're to fast, man, beast, no water, no food, and be covered with sackcloth, and call out mightily to God. At the point the proclamation came out, most of the city was probably already doing that. They had sackcloth on, ashes, they were repenting because of Jonah's message. But this official announcement from the king gave this crisis a direction and leadership, from the greatest of these to the least. The very fact that the king immediately heard God's anger toward the city and repent is amazing, amazing, let alone the fact that he then pushes it out so it affects every person and animal in Nineveh. That is ordained. This is an active demonstration of obedience. When the word of God is spoken, they responded in obedience and faith to what God said. Um, and I, I have another quote here, and I really apologize. I read it, and this is a paraphrase. And uh, I read it a week or so ago, and then when I went to look for it again, I couldn't find it in everything that I had. So these are not my words, and I wish I could give the author credit, but I don't know who it is because I couldn't find the reference again. So... But the words sat with me. At first, they just kind of simmered, and I didn't really pay attention to them. But the more I read and prepared for this, the more they kind of welled up. And the author said, The real miracle in this book of Jonah is not the man being swallowed by a great fish and surviving in its belly for three days. Rather, the real miracle is that the entire city, from the king, the greatest of them, to the poorest, the least of them, reacted to the word of God and actively repented of their wrongdoing and turned towards God. Can you imagine the Lincoln Way area doing that? Could you imagine delivering a message that says, you wicked people, in 40 days, destruction, and seeing the entire Lincoln Way area stop in their tracks and repent, to stop their wicked dealings, to 
got their murderous ways to get rid of the violence from their hands to stop everything to give glory to God. What a sight that must have been in Nineveh to see the entire city stop in its tracks and call out mightily to God. When the king says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king there is recognizing that God has given them hope. He's given them an opportunity to repent. Why would God give a 40-day waiting period if he didn't know repentance would happen? We serve a God who is just and merciful. God relents. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he was that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This text is such a demonstration of a God who is so much bigger than us that we can't even begin to comprehend who he is. Where it says God relented of the disaster, the translation of that is God repented. And when I first read that, I kind of blew it off because I didn't like the idea of God repenting. And I still don't. (laughs) God doesn't need to repent of anything. And that's true. God doesn't regret anything. This is a case where um, human language is used to explain something that we can't understand. God knew what would happen here. Otherwise, why would he have even sent Jonah? God was not on pins and needles as Jonah was delivering his message saying, oh, I hope they repent, I hope they repent. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew they would, that they would repent. And he knew that he would then show mercy and not bring destruction. He also knew that the repentance wouldn't last. As we read um, a couple prophets later in Nahum, Nineveh falls again to its sinful ways. But in this case, God saw repentance. A true turning away from sin, turning away from violence, turning away from evil ways, and doing a 180 and turning towards him. The whole city feared the Lord. And according to Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The city that stands before God after the repentance is not the same city that Jonah walked into. The city Jonah walked into uh, was probably pretty terrible and a pretty sketchy, scary place. But this new Nineveh, this was a Nineveh covered in sackcloth and ashes and calling out to the Lord. Not killing one another or seeking personal gain above others. That wicked city that God promised to destroy, it was destroyed. Through the repentance of its people and in its place, to the city calling out to God. That city is us. We are a wicked people, not deserving of mercy. Yet through the blood of Jesus Christ, we, we can experience God's mercy and his saving grace in our lives. God may have to come to us twice or three times or a hundred times, but every time he comes, his message is the same. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, you will be saved. That's God's message to us. Do you hear it? Are you in your lives actively repenting and obeying God's word 
every day? As we allow our lives to be transformed to look more like Christ, one mark of that transformation is our daily obedience to the call that God has placed on our life. Daily obedience. Whether we are a reluctant prophet or a rebellious Nineveh, God seeks us first and extends his love to us. And this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to that extension of love by coming to the table. And I want to take um, just a a short extended time before we do that of prayer this morning. Um, Oftentimes when uh, I have the opportunity to do communion, I say, take your time. This morning, I'm going to make you take your time. And we're going to spend some time in intentional prayer. An intentional prayer of repentance. Not just deliverance, like Jonah did, but repentance. For our our daily sins that we need to offer up. For our sinful nature that we need to give over to God fully. For our disobedience. But also spend time in praise of who God is. For the fact that he comes back. He seeks us out continually, even in our disobedience. Recognize what he's done for us, for us, through the cross, through the empty tomb, that he's given us the opportunity to come before him. And after some time of prayer, I'll come up and uh, we'll enjoy some.